Hi there. Good distinctions are the spice of life. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. You're listening to Will Wright Catholic Podcast. It's wonderful to have you with us. Today we're going to be talking about a fairly difficult subject, the subject of human suffering. Because, look, we all know that, that life contains a great amount of suffering. There's, there's bad things that happen to good people. Uh, and bad things happen to bad people, and good things happen to bad people, and good things happen to good people. So how do we make sense of all this? How does a good and all-powerful God allow there to be evil in the world? Um, it would seem that that would be sort of contradictory. Um, so that's what we're looking at today, this idea of human suffering, this mystery of suffering. And so without further ado, we're going to dive in. But first, what I'd like you to do is, if you haven't yet subscribed to Will Wright Catholic, please go to willwrightcatholic.com to sign up for our email list. That way you'll never miss an episode, and you'll also get access uh, to some written content as well. And if you're listening to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, or one of those other platforms, Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast when you're done listening today. It would mean a great deal and help it get out to more people. So with that, let's dive into the mystery of human suffering. St. Thomas Aquinas, when answering the question of whether God exists, brings forward two objections. And if you're not familiar with the disputed questions model that the Summa Theologica does use, uh, as well as many other scholastics from the time, basically objections are brought forward and then later um, there's an answer given and then it says on the contrary and then gives what is contrary to those objections and then answers those objections individually. Well, in, uh, in St. Thomas's work, in the question of whether God exists, he only brings forward two objections. The second objection uh, says that everything we see in the natural world can be explained by nature or by human reason. Therefore, we do not need to suppose God's existence. To this objection, St. Thomas says that we can trace back what's done in nature back to the first cause, which must be a immovable and self-necessary first principle, which we call God. And he then references his five ways, which are converging and convincing arguments to demonstrate God's existence. But for the remainder of today, I'd like to focus on the first objection that St. Thomas raises to God's existence. If you're unfamiliar with this disputed question format, again, it, it's like this. There's objections posed, then a section where a brief response is given with an on the contrary, and then the main teaching is delivered in the I answer that section. And then uh, there's specific responses given to the objections. So here's the first objection as it's written in the first section of the Summa Theologiae, question two, article three. It says... It seems that God does not exist, because if one of two contraries be infinite, the other would be altogether destroyed. But the word God means that he is infinite goodness. If therefore God existed, there would be no evil discoverable. But there is evil in the world, therefore God does not exist. And of course, this argument, it's not a slam dunk. Uh, it's an argument. Um, God does exist. He is goodness itself. But can, can we feel the weight of this argument? If God is infinitely good, then why is there evil? In other words, the question that so many people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, here on earth, there is no sufficient answer to this argument. How can there be? I mean, we see evil happen, and sometimes the human suffering which results is so extreme that no justice seems to ever come to fruition. 
Or perhaps it's not a moral evil, but a physical evil. Why do children develop horrifically painful diseases? Why do mothers and fathers lose their children to miscarriage and stillbirth? In the goodness of creation, why are there devastating natural disasters that cause widespread death, destruction, and catastrophe? And this is the so-called problem of evil, which has plagued philosophers, theologians, and ethicists for millennia. The presence of evil and suffering in the world is the strongest argument against an omnipotent, omnibenevolent, and omniscient God. The log logical formulation of the problem of evil is laid out in Aquinas' objection, and we'll get to his response a bit later on. The evidential formula, on the other hand, is the one that packs the biggest punch because we can see evidence. We can see gratuitous evil, pain, suffering, and misery. No one really needs proof that evil exists. We need look no further than our own sins or the sins of those around us to show its existence. The reason that the evidence of evil is so powerful is it's not based on its logical intricacies, but because of emotion. The natural human response to suffering, pain, blatant evil, and injustice is repulsion. We have this visceral subconscious reaction to the evil that we encounter, and we wonder, how could God allow this? Imagine that if, that if you've ever asked this question, how could God allow this, then you're fortunate enough to not have suffered any real trauma. Right? If you've never asked that question, um, it's likely that you haven't experienced real trauma. Uh, painful suffering, traumatic suffering. Uh, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying you need to experience trauma, but for those who have, I'm certain that you've asked in some form, even subconsciously, how could God allow this? I want to share a time of suffering in my own life to begin to show how we can handle inevitable sufferings when they come. My wife and I suffered a miscarriage a few years ago. Um, losing our, our son, Gabriel, at 19 weeks. And I, I didn't know how to process it. I didn't allow myself to recognize and feel my feelings. And after a few months, I realized I was very angry with God. I was depressed. I was despairing. I would ask, how could he do this to me and to my wife? What did I do wrong? What did she do wrong? What, did, what, what happened? It, it was awful. It was horrendous. I still have a profoundly vivid memory of... Um, of lowering my son Gabriel's little casket into a hole in the ground. It was awful. It was unnatural. Right? Why am I, as a father, laying my child to rest? I know that my wife and I desired baptism for him, and I believe firmly that he's in heaven interceding for us, but I wanted to hold him. I wanted to get to know him here on earth and watch him grow like my other boys. But it wasn't to be. Since then, we suffered another miscarriage, but this time I tried to feel my feelings a bit more intentionally. I talked about the experience with my friends and with priests in my life. I grieved, I wept, I prayed, but I didn't despair this time. So what was different? Well, most recently I experienced the same emotions, but I recognized and tried as best I could to give them over to Jesus. And I didn't always do that perfectly, but I, I tried to aim to unite my suffering with his cross in a more profound way than a few years ago. The suffering was imminently present, but by grace, I was able to abandon myself more to providence, I suppose. My response of faith and abandonment to divine providence wasn't perfect, and I, I wasn't dealing with um, 
a real serious mental illness, which is depression, right? It's something that people don't choose, and it's not something that can simply be overcome with prayer, right? But God spared me from that this time, I suppose, in some way, um, where I, I didn't have clinical depression, so to speak. Um, but still, I, I, I did try intentionally to feel my feelings. And even though that faith and abandonment to divine providence wasn't perfect, I am positive that I grew over the last three years. So when suffering, pain, and evil come, and they will, and we ask, how could God allow this? What is our response? Well, before we get more into the response to the problem evil, I want to look at what evil actually is. That way we can recognize it and even avoid it to some extent. So what is evil? Well, the Catholic Encyclopedia teaches that there's three kinds of evil, physical, moral, and metaphysical. Physical evil is, is what arises from nature and includes sickness, accident, death, anxiety, disappointment, disabilities, and imperfections in regards to the full development of human powers. On the other hand, moral evil, as the Catholic Encyclopedia says, is the deviation of human volition from the prescriptions of the moral order and the action which results from that deviation. So these are intentional acts which transgress against the precepts of the Catholic religion or of the nature of the human person generally. And then third, metaphysical evil is the mutual limitation of various parts of the natural world. So you can think here of like the climate uh, and natural causes adversely affecting plants and animals, predators relying on the destruction of life to remain alive themselves, to, to eat, um, the constituent parts of nature also have a system of perpetual decay and renewal. And this type of evil, quote-unquote, is really more of a relative perfection than an imperfection because creation was designed as it is by God. In all these cases, evil is negative, not positive. So it's like this. Evil consists in the loss or deprivation of something necessary for perfection. Pain has a disturbing effect on the sufferer and is thus a physical evil. Moral evil is evil because we're using reason improperly to choose a lesser good or neglect a higher good. Some argue that evil does not actually exist. Instead of a mere, it's merely a lesser good in place of a higher good that ought to be. It's an imperfection where perfection ought to be. It's a whole where there ought to be a whole, if you will. But our human experience points to a more complicated reality. Right? We, we know that, that evil exists in a very real sense. What we can be sure of, though, is that God did not create evil, nor does he cause evil. Nothing is evil in itself. It's evil in relation to other things or persons. The same fire which burns and destroys gives life-giving heat and light. The same water which drowns gives life and nourishment. The same free will which chooses evil has the capacity to also choose good. And so it's important to look at this distinction between the perfect and the permissive will of God. God is perfect. He doesn't suffer any defect of weakness or change. He doesn't change his mind. Uh, when, when it says in scripture that God relented of the evil he was to do, or he changed his mind, or whatever phrase we see, that's, a, that's an analogous sense. God does not actually change. If he, if he could change, then this would imply getting better or worse, and then he simply wouldn't be God. In his wisdom, he created all things visible and invisible with the divine foreknowledge that his creatures, namely humanity and some of the angels, would spurn him. 
And this is a mystery, the fact that he created anything. He had no need to create anything. But he did so to manifest his goodness, wisdom, power, and love. One of the most important distinctions to draw at this juncture is this difference between God's permissive will and his perfect will. Simply put, God has a perfect will. Another admittedly imperfect way to phrase this would be his original plan. The perfect will of God for humanity consisted of a desire for Adam and Eve to follow what is sometimes called his indicative will, because he's indicating what he wants, right? The indicative will of God is what he wants and how he wants it perfectly. And we see this indicative will for Adam and Eve in Genesis. He told them not to, as Genesis 2.17 says, eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he's telling them, do not do this. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed, sin entered the world along with the consequences of sin, which are suffering, pain, and death. Human suffering was not part of God's original plan. In giving humanity free will, God permitted or allowed evil to enter the world. His free creatures made in his image and likeness rebel against his indicative and perfect will and commit evils. These are not within the perfect will of God. They belong tacitly to what we call the permissive will of God. He allows it to happen because he has the long view. Only he knows the end of the story and he assures us that his justice will come to fruition in the end. And so what's our response to this problem? What's our response to the problem of evil? We should recall the great diversity of metaphysical evil, which comes together to embody the universe as a whole. Stars explode and go supernova. Uh, matter is sometimes transformed in violent and destructive ways. Predators eat other animals. Herbivores eat and therefore destroy plants. These relative perfections are not imperfections. Right? So they're not truly evil in a real sense. But when we stop to think about Physical evils which befall mankind, sickness, plague, death, anxiety, and the like. We know that human suffering often comes from true moral evil. Now, that's not to say that physical evils result from moral evils. Uh, but it's all sort of mixed together sometimes. The world and its inhabitants seem far from what might approximate perfection. And frankly, this is where human reason hits an insurmountable roadblock or seemingly insurmountable roadblock. No ideology, school of thought, or religion can sufficiently speculate about the full order of nature. We cannot know with human intelligence the full understanding of this mystery of human suffering, but we can be assured that God is completely justified. This is where faith comes in. We can experience suffering and pain and wonder why it's happening while simultaneously acknowledging that God in his perfect goodness, knowledge, and power does know. Not only does he know, but he also fully cares. The response to the problem of evil is not logically satisfying because it's a mystery with no earthly solution. But as St. Thomas More said, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. The Catholic faith as a whole gives the only satisfactory response to the problem of evil, even if it's not emotionally satisfying when we're in the thick of it. And this response is not an easy answer. It's not a quick response, which puts the problem to rest. Instead, the response to the problem of evil bears fruit in a prolonged contemplation, the practice of trust, faith, hope, love, prayer, study, and only with God's grace. So let's, let's return to St. Thomas Aquinas' exploration of the objection to the existence of God based on the problem of evil. 
He responds this way. So he finally, he gives his answer, quoting St. Augustine. He says, as Augustine says, since God is the highest good, he would not allow any evil to exist in his works unless his omnipotence and goodness were such as to bring good even out of evil. This is part of the infinite goodness of God, that he should allow evil to exist and out of it produce good. Like I said, it's not an emotionally satisfying answer. Right? We long for justice and peace, and we want it now. In our fallen world, it can be easy to give in to despair. We could, we're called to trust in the infinite goodness of God. That's what we're called to. If he allows evil to exist, then we trust that he will produce a good out of it, though we might not see it in, a, in this lifetime. If he allows evil to exist, then his justice will be made perfect in the end. And as St. Paul teaches us in Romans 8, 28, he says, we know that in everything, God works for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So God has a perfect will. He allows in his permissive will for evil to come, but he brings a good out of it. And as I've already mentioned, God not only knows of our suffering, but he also fully cares we can see this on full display in the apparent triumph of evil, pain, and suffering on Good Friday. And on the cross, the Son of God died for love of you and me. And if we were there on Calvary's Hill, we would be justified to some extent to question God's wisdom or his omnipotence. For the apostles, this dark day seemed like the end. How could a good possibly come from all this suffering, misery, and death? Even the demons thought that they had won a great victory that day. But the story did not end on Friday. On Easter Sunday, Jesus Christ burst forth from the tomb, the one who died who dies no more. Our God knows the way through suffering and death to eternal life. As the Catechism puts it in Catechism 1505, by his passion and death on the cross, Jesus Christ has given a new meaning to suffering. It can henceforth configure us to him and unite us with his redemptive passion. In moments of affliction, suffering, and pain, we can offer these experiences as prayers when we unite them to the perfect cross of Christ. Our sufferings then are transformed into grace for ourselves and for others. We can offer up our sufferings for others, and it can even bring us spiritual healing and peace. Then maybe you've heard that phrase, oh, we'll offer it up. Well, that's not just some phrase that we throw around. That's a real action. That's what gives suffering this redemptive quality. We have two choices. We can either suffer and just wallow in that, or we can take our suffering and allow God to make it a grace for ourselves and for the whole world. I don't know about you, but I'd rather pick that one. I'd rather have my suffering mean something. Human suffering is real. It's persistent. We all suffer. In this valley of the shadow of death, we do not see the full picture. In our limited human perspective, we don't always see the good that God works in spite of evil. Nonetheless, the merits of Christ and the cross continue to flow to us as grace through the sacraments. And so we hold fast to the truth of the Catholic faith, we trust in God, especially in the darkest times. And through consistent prayer and cooperation with grace, we intentionally unite our sufferings to the cross and conform ourselves to the Savior. We rely on the intercession of the sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary, who was pierced by accompanying her Holy Son on the way of his passion. 
So together, let us contemplate by God's grace and eventually adopt the perspective of the great St. Teresa of Avila, who said this. She said, in the light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen as no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. In light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. St. Teresa is not trying to downplay the real pain of human suffering. But hopefully, hopefully by God's grace, this helps us enter into the eternal viewpoint of Almighty God, who not only knows of our suffering, but deeply and personally cares. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.